Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Amen. All right. Are you happy, church? Aren't you glad that we don't use that kind of a heart when we tell people, I heart you, I love you. But that is really what you should be saying when someone says, I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my blood pumping muscle. (laughs) That's a little bit weird, isn't it? But um, we hand out candy and we hand out all kinds of things and we set up special dates for Valentine's weekend. So happy Valentine's Day from Life Spring. I'm so glad that... uh, you have someone that loves you, and if you are single here today, um, God loves you. So he's your Valentine. Amen? So um, I just want to go to Luke or John chapter 11 real quick. And uh, if you want to stand for the reading of the word, that's fine. If not, that's fine too. Um, we do have an old custom of standing, um, but that custom um, is not out of just respect for the word of God, but just the fact that um, this is God's word. Amen? Do you believe that this is God's book to humanity? Not only is it his book to humanity, it's his love letters to us. And it teaches us the ways that God loves us. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. So if you go to John chapter 11, we'll read 1 through verse 5. This love series is a series that we were able to source, and it is a good teaching, and I believe it was right for this time period. As a pastor, I endorse what is going to be said, not only because it's not just my words, but it's the Word of God. It's coming out of the Word of God. Amen? And that's where we should get our source from. So, John chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was sick. Everyone say sick. Not a good place to be. Named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her glory, I mean hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Amen. So I want to share with you for a little while about this love story and pull out of this something that maybe you've never seen before and and kind of communicate today how great God loves us. And so this is just called God's love. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we ask you to invigorate our spirits. Lord God, give us the word that we need for today and send us on our way today, Jesus, with a power and an understanding of your love. In Jesus' name. Someone said amen. You may be seated. I want you to know you are the one he loves. That is my communication to you. You are... If he was going to send anybody a valentine, he'd send it to you. Amen? You are the the apple of his eye. I think some have said you are the, the source of his affection. And you are the primary reason why he's willing to give purpose to life. Because he loves you so much. Have you ever heard someone say that you say things in the heat of an argument that you don't mean? Have you ever had, heard that? That's two of you. That's awesome. 
there's there's some things that you say in the heat of an argument or when things get tight or tense you, things come out of your lips that you that people say that you just you just don't mean but I, I think I would actually challenge that. I think sometimes we say things in the heat of an argument that is actually the opposite, that we've actually been thinking about, but we never really wanted to say, and because of the frustration of the moment, they slip through our lips, and we say things we're not supposed to say, or we promised we would never say, or they're just things we were thinking about, but they weren't really true, maybe heart feelings, but we were trying to win the argument, and we just said it. Have you ever been there before? All right, there's some honest people in the house today. I, I, whenever I got married, I got married um, at 21, and that should be illegal, amen? It's way too young to get married. And I just, <laughs> some are shaking their head. No, we got married at 21. It was good. We're still happy. That's fine. That's good. God bless you. Start a retreat. Teach people how to have wonderful marriages. I think it's wonderful that we found love and we were in love as much as we knew of love, and um, that was 20 years ago. Um, I know I don't look like I'm 80, but that was 20 years ago. And we got married, but about three months into our marriage, I realized something that was very, very crucial in our relationship. And that was that I was not ready to be married. I didn't understand what marriage was. I was not sure how to be a, a good husband and all of these things started crashing in when we had this one moment of heated fellowship. It was a moment of very loving and heated and passionate um, communication. I'll say it that way. And laundry got launched and things happened. And don't judge me, okay? Things just happened. And so we were, we were trying to figure out this marriage thing. And, and if you think you're ready for marriage, you're probably not ready for marriage, okay? There's two things you're never ready for. That number one is marriage and kids. If you think you're ready for either one of those two, you probably have disqualified yourself. But if you think, I am not really ready for this, but I think God can help me get this done, then you are ready for marriage and you are ready for kids, amen? So that is something that we had happening. And, and you know, being... A fourth generation Pentecostal, I thought, well, I can pray my way through this. I'll just figure this out with God's help. This is great. We're going to work this out and everything will be solved and our issues will work out. Well, we didn't get premarital counseling. Anybody with me there? We didn't have the premarital counseling things where they take six months and they teach you how to solve all the issues that you're going to have in a marriage in 60 years. Yeah, like that ever works, right? So they're trying to teach you how to do things right, but we didn't have that. So I was like, maybe that's the reason why I'm dealing with this. Maybe these are the reasons why I'm struggling with communication. And and maybe it's just because I thought because I'm Pentecostal, we can just hold hands and pray our way through life and it'll all be good. So yeah, but you know, being fourth generation Pentecostal doesn't mean you're good at a relationship. Amen. In fact, that usually means that I have more dysfunction than you have dysfunction because I'm a fourth generation Pentecostal and we can, you and I can go toe to toe on the issues in our family. But the truth of the matter is I did not understand her love language. And so I'd come home and I'd bring her little gifts and little, my precious, <laughs> I love you. Here's a gift. And here's the, and her love languages were not gifts. And so if you don't know what love languages is, I'm referencing Dr. Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages. It's worth reading no matter who you are, whether you're in a relationship, marriage or not, you need to read that book. And it talks about all, five different, basically, love language, hence the title, 
five love languages. And so there's five different ones. I'll give them to you quickly and just give you a quick overview. Number one is quality time. Number two is words of affirmation. Number three is gifts. Number four is acts of service. And number five is touch. And so he said that you have two or three predominant love languages often built into you by how you were raised, whether you were shown love by touch or shown love by gifts. And maybe you're wondering what my love language is. And and I I found out as I was working through this that my love language is is gifts and touch. And so I was like, okay, I need um, loving touch. And then I'd like some gifts. And I have a little bit of words of affirmation. And then I'd like for you to touch me again. (laughs) Praise God, somebody. No. That's how I feel love, you know, like I, I I feel love when I'm hugged and when I'm sometimes told, hey, you're doing okay and I love you. And But whenever someone puts a gift on my desk or someone brings me, um, Sarah would look, put little chocolates on my pillow every once in a while and it wasn't anything big. It was just a small thing. I'm so easy because it's just like you don't even have to do anything. Just put like a little candy bar somewhere for me or put a little note somewhere, a little gift. And Jordan's happy as a pig in mud, you know, I'm just I'm just happy all the time. And, and I was so easy, but she was so hard to figure out because her love language was words of affirmation a little bit, but mostly, mostly quali- quality time. Mostly quality time. And I realized that if I didn't give her like an hour every day, she turned into somebody I didn't know who it was, you know? It was like, and I'm like, what is going on? I didn't do anything. Did you leave me gifts? I'm happy, you know? But she's like, what? Are you going to play golf every single Monday you have off? You know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I mean, is that an option? Can I, was that something I could do? I didn't know that. If, if that's an option, you're even awesomer than I thought, even with that quality time thing. And so I was like, I was trying to figure this out. And so I, I you know, I had spent a day out golfing and I came home and on my way home, I wasn't really thinking too much. I was just kind of like driving and I had this craving for McDonald's french fries. I, I had a McDonald's french fries issue when I was young. And so I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. I'll do that. And and I wasn't thinking about the fact that my wife is a beast in the kitchen, okay? She's an amazing cook. And she, when we first got married, actually would go in the bedroom and lay clothes out for me on the bed, like what I was supposed to wear. And she would cook amazing meals. And for me, that didn't even register very well because I was like, I can pick my own clothes. I'm good. (laughs) I know where my closet's at. But she saw that as the model from her parents. And so she thought that's what she was going to do. And so she was cooking a great meal at home while I was going through the drive-thru at McDonald's for french fries. Hello, somebody. It was definitely a setup for disaster, okay? Because I was ruining the beautiful dinner that she was making. I get home. She's like, are you hungry? And I'm like, yeah, somewhat. She's like, what do, you, what do you mean, somewhat? And I'm like, well, I uh, kind of stopped and just got a little snack. She's like, and the steam started bellowing out her ears, and I didn't quite know what was wrong. And I'm like, are, are you okay? And she's like, I'm fine. And I'm like, um, if you guys know anything about the word fine in the woman's vocabulary, you know that things are definitely not fine, okay? Something has definitely gone wrong. In fact, I think that the, that all the older ladies get all the younger ladies together and take them off to this retreat where they teach them the ladies' code of language and they teach them what fine really means. So like, they teach them, like, if you ever marry a knucklehead that doesn't, that makes so many mistakes and doesn't really understand how 
how to love you properly, and he does some things that just really drive you crazy, just make sure that whenever he asks you if everything's okay, use the word fine, because that's code for there are so many things that are not fine, I don't know where to start with you. <laughs> that is exactly what it means. And I didn't really know that. So when she says you're fine, I was like, I know you are. You're so fine. Well, you cook good. I was just like, and that didn't go over so well for some reason. You know, something along those lines. And and, and I was having a wonderful, a wonderful moment playing golf and having a wonderful day. And then I come home and my wife's not right. Something's wrong. And, and so... I realized very quickly that all of my attempts to love her were like missing. They were like blowing right by. And I'm like, but I did, and I did, and I gave, and I this, and I that. And yet she's like not happy and not feeling loved. And then one day I realized when we sat down and we just talked for like two hours, all of a sudden there was my wife again. There was the wonderful Sarah again. And it was just because I didn't understand her love language. And I want to challenge you to figure out people's love language, especially those that are close to you, because whether you know it or not, that means that you love them. Even if you do love them and you try to show it in other ways, telling them and finding out what their love language is actually proves to them that they have value to you because you cared enough to find out what love feels like and what love looks like to them. Amen? All right. We got that out of the way. And then there was the other part that I didn't quite understand, and that was the rhetorical questions my wife would ask whenever I did something wrong. Like, do you really think that I am happy with... And she would pause. And for me, a pause meant I was supposed to say something. I was supposed to answer, and I didn't understand the rhetorical. I think they teach that at that women's code retreat, too. That whenever the guy comes home and he's being a knucklehead again, that you are supposed to ask rhetorical questions that makes him think and not know how to answer. So she was like, do you really think I'm happy with us both having the day off and you spend it at the golf course on Mondays? And I'm like... No, yeah, what? I don't know what to say. <laughs> you paused. Am I supposed to interject? And that is where I realized that she was just making sure that I was loving enough to hear her voice and to hear her heart. And I want you to know that there's love language that's very important. She has to feel loved. And so from my struggles and my hurts and my pains, and of course I was like, in the moment, in the heat of the battle, we were standing in this little apartment in Franklin, and I can remember it like it was yesterday, and we were arguing, and of course, I wasn't the yelling type, um, but I learned how to be the yelling type, and so we were just like throwing things back and forth, like this and that, and, and I remember not having an understanding of the five love languages, and I was like, why? Now, now, you know, learning more, I was like, why does it have to be quality time? Why couldn't it be words of affirmation? Because I'm really good with words of affirmation, and I'm really good with gifts. Why couldn't it be something like that? And I have friends who are married to their wives, and theirs are, they have like gifts and things like that. And they can be gone for like three months and just send packages in the mail. And their wives are very happy with them. And I'm like, why couldn't her love language be gifts? I'm good at gifts. That's how I know how to love. You know, I'd be good at this. But I had to realize that I had to learn a whole different way. So I spent two years trying to learn how to drink coffee. 
I hated coffee. But I spent two years learning how to drink coffee because that's where we could spend some quality time. We could go on coffee dates and sit down and it was me sneaking my way into learning how to love with quality time. And so now I'm doing much better, I think. Sarah, wave at me if, you, if I'm doing... Yes, I'm doing much better. That all said to say this, that while I was thinking, why couldn't it be this way? God was actually saying to me, why don't you love her the way I love her? And that is to love her without reservation and to love her without reciprocation. See, the love we have for each other and the love we have in this congregation and the love that we have toward husband and wife and relationships is really a love called filio. It's what it's called. It's the human kind of love. It's the kind of love where I love you if you reciprocate. If you do something for me, I do something for you. We don't mean to be that way, but we do it. It's like if you're texting somebody because you have a flat tire. I remember this. I, I had a trouble with my car, and I'm texting my wife, and she wouldn't text me back because she was working. I mean, it makes sense. And I'm like, you're never there for me. <laughs> like, and, and, and I only waited like for 10 minutes, right? But you're never there. Why? Because I had filial love. And God was like, I want you to love your wife with agape love because that's the kind of love that God has. Amen? And so we didn't have children for five years because I wanted to make sure that I understood the relationship and that I understood where I came from, from broken past and how to mend that. And I really feel like in the times of great stress and struggle in your relationship are the times that build you the strongest because you have to make the choice right then. Am I going to love this person even when I don't like them? <laughs> Hello, somebody. Holler at me whenever you have moments like that. So we see a situation in Scripture where Mary and Martha are dealing with a very tense moment. Amen? They're in the thick of it in this chapter, and they're losing their brother, their youngest brother. And this is somebody that's very important to Jesus. You have to realize that Mary and Martha were the closest thing to Jesus besides his own family. And Jesus in fact, spent the second to last weekend of his life with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the resurrected Lazarus. But we didn't know that. And they surely didn't know that at the time because they came up with a plan and a, and a way to get the word to Jesus because Jesus was several miles down the road. And so they formalized a very logical plan. We'll write a note to Jesus and we'll send it in a runner's hands. They had what they called runners. And they would put them in the runner's hand and pay them and that runner would run to the next city and would deliver that note. And so that was their plan. They're going to write a note. And if you're going to write a note about someone you love very much that's dying, don't you think you would write a very long note and list all the credentials like hey Jesus this is Lazarus the one that loves you and start all the credentials like he prays an hour every day he goes to synagogue you know all of these things all of his spiritual credentials I would think you would lay all that out but they say like one sentence in the note that's all they put in the note. I mean, if you're like praying for your mother-in-law who's dying, it'd be like, Jesus, I know you're kind of busy, but maybe. No, I'm kidding. If, if you're praying for somebody and you're seeking God for somebody and you have the chance to write a note and send it to Jesus, I would think it'd be longer than one sentence. But the note written here in verse 3 simply says this, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. It doesn't say, Lord, behold, the one that loves you is sick. When Mary and Martha 
got ready to show us what they believe about God in the heat of the moment, in the, in the trial that they were going through, we discover that they said, God, the one that you lovest, is sick. Because they knew something about God. They knew that God's character being love would move his heart. And when we talk about God and we talk about how much we love God, we often love God with filio. We love God with, Lord, I love you because you save me. I loved you because you heal me. I love you because you help me. But God's love is completely higher than that, so much different than that. A God that has a love like that is a God who loves us regardless of what we do and what we say and who we are. I promise you, you have to understand the depths of God's love. And this will change the way you see God. Guess what moves God, brothers and sisters? God moves God. God's own character moves him most. And Mary and Martha knew that. So when they got ready to write a letter about their brother who was dying, they didn't say, look how much he serves you. Look how much he's done for you. Look all the poor people he's given to. And look how he has prayed so much. They said, God, Jesus, the one you love is sick. Because they knew that if there was anything that was going to motivate God, that would be it. And it's almost like we think sometimes, and I have been guilty of this, that that God loved us, but we get it turned around and we think that we loved God so much that he came to us, and it's not true at all. It's actually the fact that God loved us before we were even born. He knew us, he formed us, he saw us. And the fact that he loves us so much, and, and we have this famous, the most famous scripture in, in the Bible is John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. Have you ever heard it? Tim Tebow wrote it. Yeah, for God so, <laughs> for God so loved the world that he gave, I'm grateful, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the Bible really is clear there whenever we're looking at the scripture, it says, for God so loved. He just didn't love, he, he so loved the world. You know what the world there is? Cosmos. God so loved the cosmopolitan world, the world that was bad. Cosmos means bad system, bad people. God so loved bad world and bad people that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is a truly one of the most popular and overused scriptures and even most understood scriptures I've ever seen in scripture. But it literally means that God so obsesses over us that he loves us even if we are still in a bad place being bad people. That's how much God loves us. And so Mary and Martha were not just writing a short sentence because they needed to send the message off quickly. They had a keen understanding of the power and the, and the awesomeness of God's love. So much so that even those that are bad, he loves. And even though he would seem like he is far away, God would be moved by his love and compassion for Lazarus. And it gives you an understanding of God's love. Now, our love is like, if I give you something, if I buy you a car, you better not be selling that car. 
Tanner, you better be driving that car next time I see you and show some appreciation for that gift. Amen? If I buy you some clothes, I was watching an interview with Cam Newton, which is always hilarious because the guy talks crazy all the time. But he was given some some pants by one of these, these uh, um, news people. And, like, the pants were supposed to be, like, Louis Vuitton. And you know what he did? The first thing he did was he takes them and he checks the label to make sure they're actually Louis Vuitton. And the guy who gave the gift was like, are you kidding me right now? Right on TV. He's like, are you kidding me right now? You you have to check the label? You have to make sure that wasn't good enough for you? Oh, my bad. You know, we have love like that. Like, if we give something, we expect appreciation back for that. And God's love, it's not like that at all. God is obsessed with people who are not only good, but he's obsessed with people who are bad and far from him. Amen? And so if you could understand God's love today, you'd know that Regardless of whether there's appreciation for what he did, he died for people. And even more so, he died for them that whosoever will. You think, have you ever had a moment where you read the scriptures and you wanted to have a conversation with God about why he went that direction? What what really is that all about? I mean, God, this doesn't look good for you. You're obsessing over bad people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so I, I don't know about you, but does that not make you want to have a conversation with God about, okay, God, look, um, this is a little weird. We have this term down here on earth called groupie, and you're really towing the line toward groupie, which gets really awkward if you're about 20 years old, right? And you're obsessed about somebody, and really obsession of a groupie is someone who is obsessed about someone who will never reciprocate. And it gets really weird, right? Whenever you're obsessing about a, a band or something like that, you see this all the time in the world. Every time you see somebody that's obsessed over something, they just it doesn't matter what the response is. They just continue to lavish love and lavish their affection on that thing. And, and God seems to be very much like a groupie. Because I even read in one place in the Bible where it says that he watches us when we sleep. <laughs> That's a little weird, right? But it's because he loves us so much. And so then I want to have a conversation with God about, you know, you know that there's bad people that you love that are going to stay bad people. And you will never have the reciprocation in and I don't want you to get hurt. And and I would think that you, you know, being God, you should use utilize that like foreknowledge, you know, the foreknowledge thing, that he should use that more often. And maybe just, I don't know, pick and choose a little bit. But God doesn't do that. Have you ever had someone tell you that God doesn't make sense? Have you ever had someone say that to you? If someone says to me, God doesn't make sense, I'm like, get a ticket and get in line. Join the party. Because if God made sense, and if you could understand God, that wouldn't be God. Because God is higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And if we ever get to the point where we know God and understand him completely, that's not God. 
That is our understanding of God, and he is so much bigger than our understanding. And so I have to tell you that God is not a vending machine where you push the right buttons and get the right thing out of it. or have the, He's not a math equation where you pray and you fast and you seek God and he gives you. This is not the kind of God that, that is just a God that's Santa Claus. He does not give you things just because you did all the right things. God, under no circumstances, is obligated to us, but he loves us so much that he puts promises in his word of in the word of God that if we live by those promises we see the blessing of those promises he's obligated brothers and sisters to his word he's not obligated to us but because of his love he wrote a love letter so many years ago that still impacts our life and still changes our life and I promise you in the moments when I didn't feel like God was worthy of coming into my relationship or when I felt like I didn't do things good enough God will breathe into my car he'll sneak into my bedroom I'll feel his presence there and when I feel his presence sometimes I've even said it why are you here because I knew I hadn't been the best I knew that maybe I missed three days of prayer and I hadn't done everything I felt like I wanted to do for God but he breathed into my life and he showed up and when he showed up I had that human that filio feeling of love of why are you here because I haven't done everything I feel like I should do right this week and I realized that that moment that God's love is not like my love. His love is so much greater than my love. His love is so much powerful, more powerful than my love. And he loves me with an everlasting love. And his love is agape. It's love that has no strings attached, has no requirements, and it has no no reason for me to do anything back. He just obsesses over us. Did you know that God loves you even if even if you don't do things right? God loves you. But he also you have to understand this about God is God even loves people who are in hell right now. Because his love never fails. And because his love is so different, God has a kind of love that's different from anything we ever experienced. He loves you when you're on on the best behavior of your life. He loves you when you're at your worst. And his grace is sufficient, but even though God always loves you, love has to come with the choice. Love without a choice is forced love. And God will never force himself on you. In fact, in our culture, in our society, forced love is abuse. You'll go to jail for that stuff. (laughs) Amen? And God is not abusive. So love without a choice is abuse, and God would never do that. So God will continue to obsess over people who are bad people in bad systems. Because he so loved the world that he gave. And you have to realize that no matter how good a person is or how bad they are, he loves them just as much as he loves you. Because his agape is like that. And we get to choose, brothers and sisters, whether we'll obey his word or not. Whether we'll do what his love letter tells us to do. To receive salvation to receive the saving because hell wasn't built and made for human beings 
Hell was made for the devil and the fallen angels. It was a place to torment spirits, not humans. But we are spirits in a body and sin has no place with God. And so because we needed to deal with sin, he not only loved us when we were bad, but he gave us a cross that would deal with the sin that separated us from him. And so by repentance and by following God's plan and by seeking after him in the ways that he has designed for us to be saved, we can then be in fellowship with him again. So you have to choose today and every day whether you're going to allow his obsession just to be an agape love that you never take advantage of or will you put yourself in a baptismal garment and go down in Jesus name and wash away every sin because that's what he designed will you repent of your sins and will you be filled with the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost brothers and sisters does a whole lot more for us than just give us goosebumps on Sunday and feelings of happiness during the week because he's with us the Holy Ghost is God's vehicle for shedding agape love in a human human heart. It is the only way to feel the kind of love that God has for us. It is the only way to know heavenly love because God shed his love in our hearts by his spirit. And if we truly love him, we will not let this God of all creation who makes whales and dolphins and mountains and streams so that he can make a beautiful place for someone he beautifully loves. I love all those things. Don't get me wrong. I'll pack myself and stuff myself into a tent for a week just to be near those stuff. Those things. That's a bad sentence. Those stuff. And, but I love him not for what he made, but because he has the love for me enough to make it all just so that I can see his glory and see and feel that, hey, somebody created this stuff for me. And it leans me toward his love, amen? He will always love you nonetheless. God initiated love because he doesn't just feel love. He doesn't just express love. He is love. So if you have friends that are not living for God right now, God loves them very much. If you have a friend that has had 20 different relationships that have fallen apart and she just can't seem to find someone to stay with because every time she tries to love somebody, she gives herself away physically and that guy's just looking for another trophy, she needs the love of God. If you know a guy right now who's trying to climb the work, the corporate ladder, stepping on anybody they can to get up the ladder because they think that if they get power and money, they can find the love that they want and they can find the affection. You know what? It's not out there. It's only found in agape. It's only found in God's love. That's why nothing will ever substitute for the God-shaped space that's missing in your life because that's supposed to be filled by God's love, not anything else. And God's love's not like anything on this planet. Amen? It's nothing like anything on this planet. So it's always been that our deeds and our performance and the works we do and the things we accomplish do not make God love us anymore. But because he loved us, he invites us in 
so that when we feel God's presence and we sense him, that he wants to do work in us. God loves us because he loved us from the beginning of time. He made it all, amen? He saw the sacrifice of the lamb before the foundations of the world. He loved us before he built it, which means he loved us before it was broken, and he loved us before he healed it. And I'm grateful for that. But whenever God starts out his book, he doesn't give an explanation. He just says, in the beginning, God. Could you give us some more background, Ben? What's, what is God? What, what are you talking about? And it's like, no, no. God was before the beginning. God actually started the beginning. So God, don't need to explain. I started it all. See, this book and this love is all about him, Karen, not about us. It's all about God and his character. And when you see Mary and Martha write, you love him. They knew that that would move God the most. I'm concluding, which they say 65% of your audience re-engages when you say I'm concluding. So at this point, I would like to conclude. <laughs> get you guys out of here so Mary and Martha sent a note and it was filled with a message that was so powerful I dare you to go back through your Bible this week and read every love every love letter every place where God loved us and look at the origin and the direction of that love it's never us down here pleading with God would you please come down and would you please love us we're down here and God's up on up in heaven going oh I don't know I well I have so much to do up here, but they really love me down there. Well, I but I could I could really he's trotting streets of gold, wondering if he should come down. We sometimes think of it that way, that we were in such need and such desire for him that he came, but really it was the other way around. He had such desire for us that he came. It's like, okay, well they want me really bad, I guess I'll go. It wasn't like that. It was like before I make this world and I create man, I see a lamb slain from the foundations of the world. It's going to cover it all. Because I love you enough to fix it before it's broken. That kind of love is a God-only kind of love. He is love. John, 1 John 4, 7-12. You can read it if you want to. But God's agape is a beautiful thing toward humanity. His persistent and his aggressive and his extraordinary and his expansive and his extensive love never fails. Would you stand with me together? So God cannot help himself on this Valentine's Day. He wants you to be his Valentine. Because he loves you more than you could ever know. And he loves us so much that he made a way back to him. Amen? He made a pathway back to him. And so in the end, Mary and Martha had it right. They didn't know God's plan, but they had it right. They said, Jesus, the one you love is sick. How many have a change of perspective on God's love after this sermon? Not that I've done a good job, but I mean, just you understand now 
that your life is not loved by God because of how good you do it. In fact, at your worst moment, there's a chance that God will show up and you'll feel goosebumps. And it won't be the air conditioner on your car. It'll be God's Holy Spirit sneaking into your vehicle. And he'll say, I love you no matter how much you feel like you deserve it. Bow your heads with me. Jesus, would you make this moment real? God, I wish that somebody here who has been striving so hard to figure out if they can live for you, if they can, if I can actually do this good, if you'd help them to understand that your love is far bigger than how well we perform. And your grace is far deeper than how good we are. For wherever there's sin, Jesus, your grace abounded so much more. So I'm asking you right now, God, that you would change our perspective, that you would change our understanding, and that today we would understand God's love. That agape, overwhelming, no strings attached, I'm going to obsess over you for all of time because my love never fails kind of love. Would you help us to understand that today on Valentine's Day? Lord, I know there may be some some people here that feel like I, I've done something that maybe precludes me, but that's not the case. And maybe there's somebody listening to this online that feels like I could never truly get it right. You don't understand the broken I've been through. Yes, I know broken happens. I've been there and I know it. I know it intimately, but I know this, that he designed your healing long before you were ever given the opportunity to break. And that is a love that is agape kind of love. And it's the only kind of love that will ever satisfy a human heart. We can love each other in relationships. We can try our best. But there are times when we're just going to let each other down. And that's a fact in filio kind of love. But the agape love is a God who is love, who never lets us down. Thank you, Jesus, for that revelation in this house today. Live in us. Breathe into us. Give us hope in life today. Lift any head that's down and give us new joy. Let us live this week with a full understanding of how precious we are to you and how much you love us. In Jesus' name. And someone said amen with a praise.